Well, I'm probably going to need a cigarette after that game, Vardy. Uh, how you doing tonight? I'm doing good. I didn't get to watch much of the game, so I, apparently I'm much better off than you are, unfortunately. Yeah, so this is uh, right after the Washington game, guys, and that was a pretty insane game. Not insane in terms of random things happening, because what happened wasn't random. It's just I think both teams decided to hell with it. Uh, they didn't protect the puck. They weren't doing anything with the puck that I would call positive. Two-on-ones every other shift, it seemed. Uh, bad turnovers. Goaltending was okay, but that's about it. And, man, that was a nutty one. But the Kings, third-period performance, they come through. Yeah, man. That's that's always nice to see, especially how things are going. I guess we should start with a more formal intro, shall we? Episode 12, everyone. The Marion Gabrick episode, if you will. Very apropos, given that the man is back and doing fantastic. And given that you've had a man crush on him since you were like oh 20 years old. So this is for Lord. you, Vardy. Enjoy this, this so episode, man. Me. Drink it in. I've, I've been pitching a tent for the last four games. It's been delightful. <laughs> And he was good too. He was good again tonight. And we'll talk. Let's start off with Gabrick since it's episode twelve. Uh, he has been looking pretty darn good since he came back. Really sharp, and the speed. You know, the speed. The one thing that separates him from most other players. You were worried at his age, at this point of his career, maybe he lost a step because he hasn't really played a whole lot in the last few seasons. But right out of the gate uh, against Arizona, you could tell the wheels are still there. And with Carter, uh, Tier still on the IR, it's good to good to have a guy back in the lineup that can really fly. I was never worried. I had no doubts whatsoever. I was. I was because uh, <laughs> Father Time shows no mercy. I'm I'm being completely sarcastic. I was terrified. His groin can pop off of his his you know his leg at any point in time. It, it God bless him. Way. It seems that way. And I've, I've been convinced, I mean, I've watched him play his entire career. I'm completely convinced it's because of how he accelerates. If you watch how he gets going, he takes these huge, long first couple strides that are just digging into the ice. And I'm convinced that it's because he goes from kind of drifting and then immediately accelerating that fast that he hurts his groin in those scenarios, which has, I think, been a career problem for him overall. I think, granted, I think this was more of a knee injury that he suffered in the in the World Cup last season that he was coming back from. But I'm glad that they had the luxury of letting him heal up a bit more and, and you know, get back into game shape. Which he clearly, I mean, how much of it is just excitement to get back into playing? How much of it is just, you know, no, this is where I'm at and this is, where, you know, how I'm going to be playing for the rest of the season, God willing. I think I think it's great. And he's still got that jump. He's never going to lose that shot. He's never going to lose those instincts. You know, some players, guys like Yager and uh, Marion Hosa, who, you know, is unfortunately on probably career-ending IR at the moment. But these are guys who, like, no matter how old they get, they still manage to contribute somehow. And I've I've always been hopeful that Gabby's in that in that category just because so much of what he does outside of the speed, which Grant you has always been a hallmark of his, but so much of what he does is is just pure skill. Um that, you know, it's it's nice to see him be able to come back in. And I think they found a nice bit of chemistry with him, uh Adrian Kempe and Trevor Lewis 
just like this rad, like random line that somehow seems to work because all three of those guys can skate pretty well. That's really what it is. And and really, when you were looking up and down the lineup, you know he's not. They're not going to take Ayafalo off that line, at least not full time. You know, right. Pearson and Toffoli will be paired together, and as of late, Nick Shore is their center. So to put him with, Which, eight, I mean, they have no choice really with that. Correct. Like Nick Shore, just kind of. Well, they could put Kempi up there. My point is, Kempi now is kind of dropped to what you would call the third line. But when you look at the lineup, you were really, personally, I was at least hoping that he would be uh, on the left side of Kempi because Kempi, you know, he has the skill, he has the speed, and sometimes you feel like guys can't catch up with really fast players. I feel like Tyler Toffoli the last few games has been really struggling to, like, get up and down the ice, you know, with guys who are speedier. So... To put Gabby with with him and and Lewis, that just it was seemed like a no brainer. Seemed like a natural kind of fit for those guys, especially the way Lewis has been producing, Kempi's been producing, and Gabrick kind of slips right in there. And man, that's a good looking third line. You know, if you if you play, you know, fantasy whatever coach, and you had Jeff Carter as your two center, those are three lines, man. That that is a deep lineup, and suddenly, you know. That's a lineup that can score and come at you in waves, which is what the Kings had been doing uh, in their success, successful years. Yeah, and I, I think I think the speed aspect of it is really interesting when you think about it. And you brought up the point about Toffoli kind of struggling a bit to keep up with Kempe. And some of Kempe's game is just a younger guy and who's got speed and tends to score on the rush or set his chances up on the rush. And I don't necessarily know if Toffoli's that kind of player like he's a trigger man you know you set him up you you kind of he finds soft spots on the ice and puts a puck away not to say that he can't score on the rush but i don't know i see pearson being more of the guy who keeps up on the rush um but that line it just works really well because now you have two guys who are just who are just sprinters basically out there and in gabrick and kempe and lewis who's who can you could pretty much put him on any line and he'll be effective in some way or, or form he can kind of be the third guy coming in and also, you know, can fill in kind of in a semi-center position as well. Just your utility knife player, I think, is how they've been kind of referring to him through the years. Swiss Army, baby. Swiss Army, there you go. And he just, I, I think it just works for however reason, and hopefully it lasts for as long as it does. And kind of to on your point about people being able to score up and down the lineup, Oddly enough, I think what's ended up being a pretty decent move was was the kind of throwaway trade for for UC Yokin and for Mike Camilleri, who really never found the spot with the team, and now suddenly with Yokin, and it's like, hey, he's playing fourth line center. He gives us another face off option. He's already put up way more points in like the four or five games that he's been playing with us versus the entire season with the Oilers. It just seems to be a better fit all around. No, I agree. And he's the, you know, we just mentioned a Swiss Army Knife kind of player. He is also a Swiss Army Knife kind of player. Right. In fact, if you look at what uh, his deployment in or yeah, his deployment in the last few games with the Kings, he's been playing in all situations. It's not like, you know, he's he's on the fourth line and getting his limited minutes. The Kings are using him all over the place. Um, he's getting about... 11 to 12 minutes a game which is you know nothing crazy or anything but where they're using him is what makes him so valuable right you anytime you face off he'll be there 
Um, anytime the Kings are shorthanded, he usually has a few shifts on the PK, does the job, and those are those little things. And now, you know, Brooks-like is gone now. Um, and we always spoke of how there's things that Brooks-like did that you can only learn through experience. And UC Okunin is the same thing, right? He's he's played in this league for so long, and I think tonight his face-off percentage was off the charts. I, I don't have the exact number, but I don't think he had lost the draw going into the third period. Um, mm. So that's the kind of, you know, player you're getting. And, you know, he's not as fast as he used to be. He can't wheel up and down the ice like he used to, but he makes those little plays, those little subtle things that you can, like I said, only learn through experience. And to put him on that bottom six and that's really where it is right the bottom six i think the kings are still kind of searching for the right mix on the bottom six obviously with gabrick back that kind of changes things and when Carter comes back your third line is probably solidified but in this little stretch where the kings were struggling um they were really really trying things on that bottom six uh to find something to find some sort of consistency and i think Jokinen is a step in the right direction for that they brought in tory mitchell not sure what the plan is for him, he is having visa issues there, hasn't been able to skate with the team yet, but or play with the team yet, I should say. He has skated with the team. So we'll see what's going on there. Um, but overall, yeah, like you said, good trade, and hopefully it's it's trending upward for the Kings after a rough few games. Yeah, I mean, I think I think your point about them trying to figure out the things with the bottom six is, is well made. And some of it is because they're using a lot more rookies than I think we're, we're used to seeing the Kings use. I mean, at any, there was a point a few games back where I think the King, they had the most rookies they've had. in I want to say close to maybe a decade where it was like they had five rookies playing in one game, which if you consider that it's, it's pretty, it's pretty remarkable for this team. It's also kind of, you know, it speaks to how consistent they were able to keep the lineup from one season to the next through two cups. But I mean, five rookies in one team, that's, that's a lot for any team. You know, usually you see that on teams that are basically looking to rebuild and, you know, they're throwing guys out there to see what they have and kind of go from there. But it's interesting because they, for in the Kings case, it's, they've got them dotted up, up and down the lineup. I mean, you still have, I follow on the top line. You've got uh, McDermott in and out of the defensive spots. You've got uh, Brodzinski, you know, playing basically bottom six minutes, but he's sticking around for the moment. Um, you had Amagio up for a little while. Now he's back down. Um, and who am I forgetting? I'm forgetting one person here. Well, there's been a couple. I mean, Krasinski no, there was, came that's up right, for, that's like, right. for like a minute. A yeah. Bit. I mean, so it's it's interesting and it's also some of it is brought about by injuries, obviously with Clifford being out um, and now Andrioff being out as well. Um, not that they're necessarily huge losses on the score sheet, but it forces you now to start bringing in um, these rookies and play them. And I think the Kings are are, are seeing some good things in, in these guys, but at the same time, you understand how they're a little weary that maybe you need someone with a bit more experience, uh, someone who's played at this level for 82 games. And so they're trying, you know, with Brooks like, and I don't know if that really worked out. Like, you, you know, he was great locker room guy and whatnot, but if you're not getting the offensive production out of him, at what point do you consider making a, making a switch? And I think that's kind of where Tori Mitchell comes into play, um, where UC Jokinen comes into play. It's just finding that right balance of youth and veteran experience 
on that bottom six rather than just throwing out, you know, five, six guys who never played at this level before and and letting them have at it. So we talked about the Washington game. So let's talk about the stretch a little bit, and then we'll kind of finish it off with that Capitals game. The Kings, let's go with the last eight. Um, they lose 2-1 to Boston. That was a frustrating game to watch. Mm-hmm. Um they beat Florida for nothing, and and I remember thinking, all right, this is a turnaround game. Not so much because then they roll into Vegas the next night. They lose four to two in a game where Jonathan Quick uh, would probably want to burn all footage of uh, in some sort of bin in the back of some trailer in Montana so that no one can ever find it. That was just an ugly, ugly performance for him. Rare. Uh, I have it on good authority that he owns said trailer, by the way. Probably. probably. Don't want to cite my sources, but uh, right. he's got one. And then Winnipeg game, again, 2-1. So the theme was like the Kings are not scoring again. And, you know, for a team that came out of the gate, like, on fire offensively, they really, really, in the month of November, slowed down. You know, we joke always that the that Tampa Bay game broke the Kings, and that's really what it seemed like. Uh, it seemed like after that game, they were just discombobulated, detached from one another, disjointed in terms of chemistry and all that. Um, and then they roll into Arizona and lose 3-2 in overtime. Man, that was a rough stretch of games where the Kings looked very much like the dreaded 16-17 version of themselves, which no one wants to remember. Everyone wants to forget. That was a tough year. And they really, really started to look like that. Um, and really, the you know, other than not scoring, I thought, I think they're still, in, even in this bad stretch, they were still generating a little more than last year's lulls, which seemed to go on for periods at a time. Uh, I think they're still generating during this little dry spell. But what really concerned me was their defensive coverage um mm-hmm. during this time because it's one thing to make mistakes it's one thing to blow coverage here and then but the way uh they were blowing coverage and just how open other players were in front of quick and all that it's just the mistakes were way too glaring and something that i personally am not used to from this squad yeah i think and again i, I do wonder how much of that is is a bit Related to the inexperience of the defensive group, I mean, Fantenberg is essentially an NHL rookie. That's who I was forgetting. That's right. So Fantenberg was essentially a rookie to the NHL level, and his game is very different, I think, than than how NHL defensemen are typically playing. And then Folin um, was kind of getting in and out of Minnesota's lineup, and now he's pretty much, you know, a guaranteed roster spot in the lineup. Then you throw McDermott in and out, and I think. It puts a lot on Dowdy, Muzzin, and Martinez, you know, to kind of carry the weight a little bit and make up for some of the defensive mistakes. I know early on in the season, we were commenting when things were going really great, we weren't really noticing Folan or Fantenberg or McDermott making any significant mistakes. Um, and I think there were several times where we were just noticing, you know, the one, I can't remember which team they were playing against, but there was one particular uh, goal where both uh, Fullen and Fantenberg went to the same guy down low and it completely opened up someone in the slot for a goal. And it was just, it was just a bad 
coverage read. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it was the Tampa game. The right. The game that broke us. Yes. Apparently <laughs> broke that pairing too. So, but yeah, go on. But I mean, that's it's moments like that, right? And one other person who's kind of stood out and who maybe we got a little bit spoiled last year because of how well he adjusted to the play. Um, I've noticed Derek Forbert struggling oh, a yeah. good amount. It's just, I don't know if you want to call it like a sophomore slump or whatever, but there's just, there's a lot of misreads. There's a lot of just panic plays, you know, that just don't make a whole lot of sense. And you can kind of, and I don't know if it's fatigue because he, maybe he's playing more minutes. Although last year he was playing with Dowdy pretty much, you know, 20 plus 22 minutes plus a game. I was handling it okay. Um, so I'm not really sure what it is. It's just to kind of use a vague, coaching term that we would hear all the time it's it's just like lack of detail right it's 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 these attempts to make maybe a play that that isn't a safe play but you think you're gonna you're gonna give it a go and you're gonna try and get that puck out up the middle instead of making the safe play and pinning it and waiting for help or going around the board with it or just making a soft pass when you have to make a a, a real hard pass to guarantee that puck gets out of the zone it's little things like that and against good teams like tampa um, like Vancouver, who's shockingly good, or even against Vegas, where they forecheck you relentlessly. I mean, it's just going to bite you in the ass every single time, I think. Yeah, I think with him, I've noticed it too. Um, he, he seems to be fighting the puck. Uh, mm-hmm. The plays that came easily to him last season, the simple, you know, like you said, a five-foot pass here, just an easy pass, an easy exit out of the zone, getting it in deep, uh getting the red line, getting in deep, simple stuff. It's just, it's a struggle for him right now. And, um, I mean, maybe he, maybe he was playing a little over his head. I always felt that he, I don't think he's a first pairing defenseman. I don't think anyone would label him as a first pairing defenseman. And last year he, like you said, he's getting those crucial minutes. Uh, You know, ideally you wouldn't have him there. So ideally I think a third if you're talking about really ideally, he'd be probably a third pairing defenseman uh, with, I don't know, maybe a Martinez or something like that. But that's going back to when the Kings defense was stacked one to six. Yeah. Um, and that's like the ideal, ideal situation. So second pairing, third pairing, uh, four, five, six guy, I would say that's probably where, where he should be, which again, that's, hey, you're an NHL player. So there's nothing wrong with being a four or five, six. But I think last year he was a little in over his head and he was just... You know, he was in a groove and he was making the plays. And now, you know, I don't know. I don't want to say he's coming back down to earth or anything like that. But I think now he's got to be a little more sheltered than before. You got to kind of take his, peel his minutes back a little bit, uh, put him in situations where he can gain his confidence again and where he can succeed. Yeah. And it's, and again, I think it's some of it is an evolution of a young player, right? I mean, I get that he's been pretty much in the King system for far back as some of us can remember but i and we've we've always been spoiled with how quickly drew dowdy i think came up and seamlessly became a, a top pairing defenseman and so maybe that's what your expectation is of most of these guys um or even jake muzzin i mean muzzin was kind of an overager when he came in but within a couple seasons it was pretty clear that he was going to be the you know the top four d-man and so you, you maybe you start expecting that, especially with a guy who's had that much development time as Forbert. But right. this might just be—I mean, this might just be his trajectory, and we just got to give it a little more time. I actually think he's exceeded expectations uh, up until now because 
It took you him, think so? I mean, he was a first-round defenseman, man. I mean, well, let me let me rephrase that. So it's he cracked the lineup in 2016, and he's drafted right. in 2010. So by, I would say by 2014-15, I really wasn't expecting anything out of him at that point. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so I'm not talking about initial expectations. I'm saying evolving expectations. Yeah. Uh, around by the time 2015 rolled around, I was actually like, man, I think this kid might bust, you know, and I think, you know, we took him so early. We took him right before St. Louis took Vladimir Tarasenko. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that obviously, that's just, hurt. yeah, that makes you hurt. That makes it hurt even more to actually think that this kid might bust. And then he comes in and he plays so well. So I think right there, he's already exceeded my, at least my 2015 expectations. Obviously, in 2010, it's a different story, but I think he's doing fine. He just he he's not a top pairing defenseman. Just peel him back, uh, find someone else who could play with Drew Doughty. Right now is Jake Muzzin again, which which might be good for Muzzin a little bit because he hasn't really looked too great either in most of the games. And I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to go back on that oh, topic. The Bannermen are are ta- already Going taking enough heat. Well. Yeah, enough heat for dumping on poor Jake all the time. But yeah, so there's still I think. I think the Kings are still one solid defenseman away of having the right mix of players uh, on the back end. Hopefully, Paul Ledoux gets a shot real soon here. But uh, isn't that kind of funny? I mean, for the he he seemed to play pretty well. Ledoux, that is, like the, towards the end of last season, and was and was you know I thought pretty pretty good. And it's kind of surprising to me that for all the people that have come up. He, he still isn't coming up, and I don't know how much of that is just he's going to get more minutes in Ontario. Or I think that's it, man. I really do. I think, I think it's it's a good thing. I think they're viewing it as a good thing. I think they're viewing it as like let's protect this kid as much as we can uh, because they see something in him that I think goes beyond all these other guys we're talking about. You know, I think, I think they rather he refine his game to the place where they want it to be so that when they call him up, he makes an immediate impact. So I think it's more of a compliment to Ledoux uh, than it is, let's say, he's not cutting the mustard or anything. I think I think it's more of a really sheltering and protecting him. Uh, and because if you throw him up here, and like you said, he has been good, but maybe they saw something in camp where they're like, okay, his confidence is of utmost, utmost importance to us, so we don't want to throw him to the wolves here or something like that. But... Um, I, I expect he'll be back up at some point this season. Even though Fanberg, Folin, and, and McDermott, they're doing fine, um, I think Ledoux is like one notch above those guys uh, yeah. in terms of upside, in terms of talent, in terms of his ability to move the puck and skate, all that stuff. So I expect to see him at some point. But, um, hey, speaking of, we talked about these young guys and all that. Adrian Kempe, man. Is it just me, or is he just getting more and more comfortable every single time he gets on the ice? I'm not even talking about every game. It seems like literally every shift, uh, he's just oozing confidence every single time he gets on there, and it is uh, it is great to see. I I just love watching him play. I feel like he's one of these guys um, who anytime he has the puck can create something, sometimes out of nothing, and sometimes just using pure speed and just seeing what the heck happens. It's, it's kind of that like youthful exuberance plus skill that I don't know if I've seen in a little while in the Kings. Um, so it's, I, I think it's fun. I, God, I wish he could win a face off. I mean, if he could yeah, win a freaking face off, that's it, man. It would just that's be, the last step. 
that's right. Like nothing else, nothing else is really holding him back from being that dangerous number two center option. I mean, obviously I don't expect him to play that position once Carter comes back, but imagine if like he can pick that up and he's playing that way as a third line center and you could just go Kopitar, Carter and Kempe down the middle. It's man, that would be something. That's money right there. That's what you want. I think that's exactly what the Kings hope for because man, you cannot, teach size and skill and he has it and speed right like he he has those three things in spades now size you know it's strictly a height thing i think he definitely be a little heavier i think uh he could bulk up a little bit i and he's you know what it is man he's starting to win little battles too yeah like you could see like okay before it was like when he's forechecking you could swat him like a fly and he's off of you but now, again, with every game, he's battling more. He's, he's winning little battles. He's digging pucks out. He is becoming slowly, let's not really get ahead of ourselves, but he is becoming a complete player uh, with every time he plays, it seems. So like you you mentioned, it's the face-offs. That's really the last thing because if he's going to be a centerman, he's got to be trusted in all situations. And right. if he can get that down, man, he looks I mean, like – that's that's the one thing though like faceoffs at least are, are a learnable skill you know what i mean like you could sure you could just go and practice draws all day and figure out like methods get your get your hand eye coordination a little bit faster like you know stare staring at the ground you're staring at the puck a little bit better dropping out of the ref's hands and and figuring out ways to win a draw even if you can't win it cleanly i think those are all teachable skills and so hopefully that'll come in time i'm not expecting them to become you know, Patrice Bergeron or anything. I'm not even expecting him to become a Kopitar in that respect, but like get something a bit closer to 50-50 in terms of the draws. And, and now we're talking, you know? Yeah. And his ice time, you know, it's, it's gone. Still, it's, it's gone I mean, more and more every game. It's, it's been increased. There's some games where they pull him back and I was kind of ticked off at the, uh, that OT loss against Arizona. He had nine minutes yeah. and 38 seconds. And, Man, he was probably the most dangerous player for the Kings. Uh, it's weird, isn't it? Like, it doesn't make sense sometimes what type of ice time he gets. He'll get 18 minutes one night and then get nine minutes the next night for no real particular reason. Yeah, like after the Arizona game, he gets back-to-back 14-plus-minute uh, games. And it's just, you know, maybe it's a learning tool. I'm not really sure where uh, John Stevens' head is at with why his deployment is like that in terms of his minutes on some nights. But... I would like to see just a consistent rotation of shifts for this guy because, yeah. like I said, if the last 10 games, even when the Kings were losing and everyone was struggling, he was still probably one of the most dangerous players on the ice. Just his speed, man. What this, I think today and the Detroit game, there was like two instances where he went through the neutral zone with speed and guys were just scrambling, to like figuring out how the hell we defend this guy. Uh, I think he dropped one of the Capitals today. Uh, on a little just a little deke but he had so much speed the guy just got tangled up in his own skates and fell down uh that's the kind of thing i'm talking about and i and hopefully he's turned the corner here with the coaching staff because visually i think he has turned the corner uh i I don't think he's a concern anymore i mean obviously there's still going to be days where he's finding that consistency but i don't think there's any question that he is a full-time nhl player at this point i don't think he's ever going to play a minor league game again can we agree on that yeah, no question. I mean, even beyond the eye test, it's it's showing up on the scoreboard too, right? Like he's he's got goals in two games straight now. He's up to was it nine goals on the season? 
I, I don't think they were expecting even that much out of an entire season from a much less before you're even at the at the halfway mark, you know. And some of that, again, is, is because he was forced into that position with the Carter injury. But sometimes good things happen out of out of bad occasions. And and having a guy like him being able to step up and find his game and earn the confidence of the of the coaching staff and stuff and really establish that he's not someone that you're going to potentially trade away. Cause I think that was always a question too. Like not that, not that it was ever a realistic question in my mind, but it was always like, this was going to be his put up or shut up kind of season. You know, like if he showed up, if they played him in 85 games, I mean, in 82 games and he put up like six points and just could not stick in the lineup for, for anything, would it shock anyone if they traded him? Now the thought of potentially trading him is just unrealistic. It'll never happen. Do you remember? Remember we, and this is, I'm calling us out on this. We said something along the lines of Muzzin and Kempe for Landeskog at some point. Yeah. Now let's, let's, would... let's revisit that, Vardy, <laughs> right now. At this point, <laughs> would you make that trade? I'd still trade Muzzin for Landis Gog. No, no, that's not what I'm asking. That's not what I'm asking. That exact trade, absolutely not. Same here. Absolutely not. Same here. Yeah. Because he has taken it to another gear this year. And now you're talking about a guy who at some point will be a top six center the way, you know, your your current top six centers with Carter out and Kopitar is playing. But with their age and everything, now you're going to think about grooming him for those real, real crazy minutes on the top six. So that yeah. how quickly things can change. Um, that, but that's the kind of season he's been having. Effective every game, a difference maker every game. Uh, not I think that's the kind of season the entire Kings are having, man. I, I feel like the 27-2018 uh, Kings motto is going to be how quickly things can change. I mean, just from game to game sometimes, you're not even sure what's going to happen. Sure, it's a little bit of a roller coaster ride. I'll give you that. Uh, start at, like we said, started out the season house on fire. Uh, then they lost an ugly stretch of games. There was a stretch where Jonathan Quick lost six straight starts, uh, which is a career high or a career low, however you want to put it for him. First time right. that's happened in his career. So, no, I get you, man. And you know what? It might be that way the whole season, guys. Buckle up, uh, because. The Kings will play well in stretches. Uh, I'm very confident in that. I think they'll always be in games. But the way they've been playing, the way, you know, every game is kind of close. It's a one-shot deal sometimes. And we talked about this last episode. The games they lost, man. They've lost how many one-goal games in this last stretch? Uh, All of them? They lost to San Jose. (laughs) Right. They lost to San Jose by one, Vancouver by one, Boston by one, Winnipeg by one, Arizona by one. You know, so... It's always going to be tight like that because that's just the way the league is right now and that's the way the Kings are playing right now. They're not the shutdown defensive team they used to be and they're not the, you know, black hole of offense they used to be. So this is yeah. their, this is kind of the result you're going to get. So it's like these stretches will happen. Uh, they'll still be in games, but it's all about bending and not breaking, right? We always, you and I always talk about this. That's what those old teams, those cup teams were able to do, bend but not break. And this version of the Kings t- team is still learning that. There's many, many games this season where they've bent and broke uh, in crucial times. So that's they're still kind of figuring the formula out uh, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, 
Uh, I'll throw him, by the way, I'll throw the Vegas game into that one goal loss category sure, because they lost 4 2 because the last one was an empty netter. But that game, I mean, that, that game was kind of lost in the first period. Quick just just didn't seem to have it. It was one of his rare off nights this season, um, which, again, has been, has been a very, very helpful thing because with a team that's still figuring things out, like we're talking about, that's still figuring out who's going to be in and out of the lineup, what the line combinations are going to be, what the extent of this coaching uh, system is going to be, and really, are, are we really this good, or were we just getting lucky, or where, where do we realistically stand, I think is a question in their own minds as well. I think just as much as we questioned what this team was going to play like when they came out, the players themselves had that same question with regard to, okay, is this you know, what is this roster going to look like? How are these newer players going to fit in? How is this coaching system going to actually, um, you know, play out on the ice? And I think a lot of it is, is everyone still not really sure what the real Kings are going to be like. I think you need like a full season or at least half a season to get a sense of like, this is the reality of this team. Cause if you were to look at the first 15 games of the season, even without Carter, I mean, they were on a tear, you thought they were going to challenge for the president's trophy. Then you look at like the last eight, maybe not the last three, but like the last the five before that and the, just the, those losses they were having. And, you know, we were we were chicken littling it. We were saying sky is falling. This is the real team. We always knew it. And they were just playing against weaker opponents. And now all of a sudden you put them up against some better teams and they can't score more than two goals. And Jonathan Quick standing on his head and doing everything he can, but he's just not getting the offensive support. So. I think a lot of it is still really eking itself out and making things clear, but it's it's so nice that you can see them have these bounce back stretches where, yeah, they played really terrible for most of this month. Um, and traditionally, the Kings haven't really been a great November December team to my to my recollection. Um, and now these last three games, starting with the Anaheim game, which is kind of a gritty game, but they they gutted it out and they got the win there after falling behind early. And the last two games with Detroit and Washington, it's it's just nice to see them be able to kind of turn it up and, and play a great game like that. Yeah, that Detroit game, um, what a show by Jonathan Quick, that game. You, t- you, you talk about that stinker in Vegas and six straight losses and all that. That game, man, he was, I think he made three saves that could have easily been the best saves he's made this season so far. One on Nyquist where Nyquist just could not believe he was stopped. One on actually two on Nyquist on the same shift, and then one on Dylan Larkin. The one on Larkin is like a career highlight, man. That is <laughs> that was spectacular. I, I don't even know how to describe that. He's got no stick in his hand. He's going in a different direction. Somehow stops, pushes off, and <laughs> I mean it's just madness. And even the one goal that they managed to score on him, Mike Green made a heck of a like a stop and go deke on him and he still managed to get a glove on it and, and nicked the tip of the glove and it went in right no really no goalie was going to stop that and he still managed to get a glove on it it's unreal sometimes what he's doing night in and night out and we always say he's <laughs> he's the least of our worries um and we mean it and every time we wonder about him he usually turns out a performance like that so am i surprised not really because that's just that's who that guy is man he's you know, we do our three stars of the game af- on Twitter uh, after every game. Which are hilarious, by the way. <laughs> I agree, Vardy. I agree. But he has to, I mean, he's on, on there almost every night for us because 
you know, barring this little stretch, obviously, but he's just, he's, you're going to be in every game when he's in net. Um, I truly believe that. And man, we are lucky to have a guy like that. Um, just ask Vegas who beat us, but man, they're having some goalie rotation issues that has never been seen before in the NHL. It's crazy what is going on there. Yeah. And we still lost to their like fourth string goaltender. Just and frustrating. And they're still right behind us. We're, we're currently back for first in the division, but we have, I think, a significant uh, yeah, amount we, of games. Yeah, we've played, played way more yeah. games than them. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I, I do feel sometimes for quick because I, I this is, again, one of those seasons where you're watching them play and you just know that maybe if you could get a little more offensive support, the win numbers would be up there and then he would he would kind of be talked about a bit more towards the end of the season in terms of being a Vesna candidate. Not that I think he cares about the individual accolades, but it's just crazy to me that, you know, he may, he may retire without ever wanting, having ever won a Vesna because it's just, things just never seem to line up the way they need to be for him to win it. I think the one year that he realistically should have won is, is what I affectionately call the uh, Henrik Lundqvist lifetime achievement Vesna. Yeah, I 2012. Think, I think, yeah, he he hands down was the best goaltender. I say that with zero homerism. Oh whatsoever. no, you he just... carried the Kings into yeah. the play. There were games, stretches where the Kings were scoring one or less goals, and I'm talking about when I say a stretch, I'm talking about like 15 games. Yeah. Um, yeah, they were winning some, they were losing some, but for a goalie to, he willed that team uh, up until you know the coaching change and then. Uh, getting Carter at the deadline. Up uh, even after that, man, he—I don't think there was any question who the best goalie in the league was that season. Uh, luckily for him and for us, he kind of you know gave him the old fu with the Con Smythe. Didn't get the Vesna, but he got that other one. It's a pretty good one too. Um, I'm sure he'll I mean, settle just, for just that. Just remind people what num- what kind of numbers he put up. By the way, he had 35 wins, 21 losses. His goals against was 1.95 with 10 shutouts and the. Nine nine two nine save percentage, that is absurd numbers. Right, absurd numbers, and he it just it's like if that doesn't get you a Vesna, I don't know what will. It by far the best season of his career numerically. So, and yeah, I just it just you feel for him because I think if if you could get more wins, if the team could just contribute sometimes offensively in these games where he's really keeping you in it. His win numbers would be up there, and he could very easily win the Vesna. But as it stands, you're going to have guys like Bobrovsky and Vasilevsky putting up decent numbers and getting the wins and having good teams playing in front of them. And so that's going to stand out, I think, more so than than you know amazing highlight reel saves that he puts on night after night. Unfortunately, yeah. Today on the Kings telecast, they actually. Uh... They had some graphics up about high danger save percentage. Uh, that's mm-hmm. goaltender save percentage from shots that come from scoring areas. And he leads the league uh, in the five most dangerous areas, which is kind of cool to see. This is kind of relatively new. Uh, I've, we've been following hockey a while. This is the first time I've really seen that mentioned and charted out like that. So there's a Is that on sp- NHL.com or that's uh, probably some advantage? You know, stat. yeah, it's probably some site. But the Kings themselves on the tel- telecast had a really like clear organized graphic to show where the shots are coming from and where quick leads uh, in save percentage for each area and and like i said man (laughs) the most dangerous areas he was he was leading the league uh in most of them so 
moving forward with him, uh, not too concerned. Hopefully, he stays healthy. That's what it comes down yeah. to, uh, really, yeah, at this point. Make one of those saves where he's going end to end and diving forward and backward and topsy turvy. I I just pray that nothing is gonna break or rip or anything. I feel like he's one of these guys who would throw his arm out of its socket to make a glove save, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, he would. He totally would. And it was funny. Uh, that save he made on Larkin, uh, I was watching a highlight of it, and it was the Detroit tele- telecast. And one of the, I think it was the color guy who said, no wonder he tears his groin. Look at that save. You know, look at the way he's moving. <laughs> he's like, I understand why you have gro- groin problems now. And yeah. we kind of get so used to it. Uh, but it's always fun to to see other people other groups other fan bases what have you react to saves like that because we see it a lot which is nice yeah i like seeing them they're fun they are fun to watch um <laughs> it's fun to watch also Andre kopitar eclipses the 12 goal mark in game 25 uh versus i believe he got his 12th goal in game 82 last year or 81 i'm not completely sure uh we don't like to remember those kind of numbers for Kopi, but it looks like he is back to his old self, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think everyone anticipated that he would at, le- at the very least be significantly better than last year, but he, yeah, he looks like he's right on his usual pace. Um, he was actually last, w- we checked, I think it was after the Detroit game, he was on pace for 36 goals and 92 points. Uh, which would both be career highs. Now we don't expect those numbers necessarily. It would be nice if he gets to the 90-point plateau, but I think his ballpark, his usual area of between 76 and 80 would be just fine with us. Totally fine. He's also shooting like near 20%, like a 20% clip. So, you know, you expect that to go down a little bit. Not that I wanted to, but, you know, I I, I think if he, if he scored 70-plus points, I'm going to say 75 plus points. I would be just ecstatic. You know, you worry. And again, whenever you see a guy like Kopi, you know, who uh, shows up every game, I feel like even when he was having a down season offensively, every game, it was just like he was trying his damnedest to do whatever he could. Um, it's it's nice to see him get rewarded offensively. And again, anytime that happens, I sit there and I wonder, I'm like, was it really just the coaching? Was it just like... Was it just affecting everyone so negatively overall that it just, you know, permeates the entire psyche of even even your best player who everyone loves and knows is your best player? And again, you can't overstate just how awesome it's been to see Dustin Brown kind of pick up his game now with 21 points in 25 games, 10 goals already in 25 games. Yep. And some of them are just great shots. I mean, he's picking top corners like no one's business these days. It's Hey man, just keep it up. Honestly, it's it's just so nice to see some balanced scoring. Whereas last season, it was like if Carter didn't contribute, you might as well pack it in. Yeah. So. A, a correction on that: uh, it was Kopitar's twelfth goal came in his seventieth game last season. Okay. So, hey, all right. Um, another thing with Kopitar: the last few days, it's been slowly coming out that that injury he had last year was actually significantly serious and even on the telecast today i think it was jim fox mentioned that there was a a stretch of like two months where he could not shoot the puck uh i think we kind of speculated on that the kings never came out and said it but it looks like now you know a year later they're comfortable saying that there was a stretch there where he could not shoot the puck at all 
Uh, and this is coming from, like we said, the King's telecast confirming with Luke Robitaille and all that. So he, Kopi's not the guy to use that as an excuse, I think. Um, and he never did. I don't think he ever said anything about that. But it kind of makes sense um, given the insane drop-off in those numbers uh, from last year for him. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's... I think it also goes in other directions, right? Because if it, if it's some sort of a wrist injury or something like that, and you're taking twenty plus faceoffs a night, I mean, anything anything that touches your your hand or you know you get slapped across the wrist with a stick on the on a faceoff, that's going to hurt. And then imagine trying to go out and shoot with that same wrist that you just that got took a stick across, you know. So it, I think it it just accumulates over the course of the game, over the course of the season, makes it really difficult. But, you know, the team would be lost without him. I, I don't care how badly he plays, the team would be lost without him. And you have no choice but to sign him to the kind of contract that they ended up signing him. I think that's that's his market value. <laughs> you know, no matter what you say, that's his market value. Because if the Kings didn't pay him, guaranteed someone would. 100%. You, you know, first-line centers who play 20-plus minutes and win Selkies. Yeah, good luck finding those. Um in any avenue, free agency, trade, and even draft. Good luck drafting a kid like that who's yeah. going to become that. But uh, speaking of drafts, kids, and all that, um, the Kings signed a kid out of the Seattle Thunderbirds, uh, Austin Strand. Did you hear about this? I did. I did. And uh, he is um, 6'4", 20-year-old defenseman, shoots right. Um, he had 27 points in 26 games or has with the Thunderbirds. And... Another kind of overager who was kind of putting it together towards the end. He was never drafted by anyone. He was just signed as a free agent, like we said. So one thing that's all that's impressed me with Rob Blake, obviously he's very aware uh, how depleted the Kings prospect pool's been because of trades that needed to be made. Strike while the iron's hot with Dean Lombardi at the helm. A lot of draft picks moved. A lot of prospects moved. You got to tip your hat to Rob Blake, man. Austin Strand, Alex Ayafalo... Uh, Fattenberg out of nowhere, Boko Imama, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Just little signings like this, really proactive, uh, thinking outside the box and, and trying to replenish, I guess, the Kings prospect pool. I, I'm always been a fan of finding these guys kind of out of nowhere and doing your deep scouting and not being afraid to take a chance on an overage guy, especially in a position like defense where, like we were talking about with forward, it just takes a little bit longer to develop sometimes. And, you know, just because a guy didn't get drafted at 18 doesn't mean that at 2022 he's not going to be a good player. Just maybe a little farther along and maybe he's starting to appreciate the strengths of his game and work out the weaknesses. Um I, again, I I have no clue where they project this guy kind of playing. And if you looked at his stats, you'd be really impressed and think, oh, man, it's going to be awesome. He's going to step in. He's going to be exactly like Muzzin. And that's not quite what I'm hearing in terms of in terms of his like potential. But who knows, man? Who knows? I mean, by all accounts, he's putting up numbers like crazy now as a, as a slightly overaged player. Um, and that means I think that with a contract signed, if his WHL season ends early, he can come up and play with the a, with uh, the Ontario, Ontario Reign afterwards. Yeah. And then, yeah, and so you get a sense of how he can play on the pro level by the end of the season. I mean, you, you lose nothing by signing guys like this, right? So why not? No, and 
it's it's just crazy to me how I guess astute uh, the Kings management has been with like Curtis McDermott, right? He was undrafted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Matt Luff was undrafted, and he's looking pretty good in Ontario right now. Um, yeah, Jake Muzzin, and this is going way back. He he was drafted, but didn't sign with Pittsburgh. Martin Jones went undrafted. Dean Lombardi signed him. So that's kind of the two where we hit, I would say, on on these players that kind of went under the radar. But now I think Rob Blake is really attacking this avenue uh, at full speed, which is which is great. I mean, that's kind of what we need right now. The way. Uh, the team has that gap. We always talk about that gap uh, between their first-round draft picks and all that that they used to have, and then now these new kids co- coming up. It seems like there's this generation, not a generation, but a few years of players where the Kings didn't yeah. really take anyone important, really didn't restock their po- uh, pipeline and all that. So good for him. Hopefully uh, he turns out to be another solid signing, and at you know worst-case scenario, your minor league system, you know, has a lot of depth and gives you opportunities to call kids up and give them looks. I mean, just like they're doing now, right? And exactly. especially for someone who's a who's a big right-handed defenseman with a little bit of offensive skill that's kind of coming around. I think that's 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 a gamble you take any any day of the week. Any day of the it's week. Not, yeah, exactly. It's not even it's not even fair to call it a it's gamble. Not much of a gamble. It's, yeah, it's, exactly. it's a very calculated move. Right. Agreed. You know? Agreed. Um. All right, speaking of signings, there's one more thing I have to talk about because uh, it's starting to get on my nerves a little bit, Vardy. Uh, I don't know if you read today. It was all kind of all over hockey Twitter and all that. Uh, Drew Doughty making waves yes. again, talking about his contract, talking about how he feels that Eric Carlson and him deserve more money than P.K. Subban and how he and Carlson will be kind of putting their heads together and figuring out figuring out how they're negotiating and all that to maximize their dollars. He even went as far as say, I don't know if Eric Carlson will be in Ottawa. I don't know if I'll be in L.A. I heard they're both going to go play for the Miami Heat. That's that's a prevailing rumor right Are now. Are they taking their talents to South Beach? They're taking their talents to South Beach. That's what I heard. That's funny because if you read Twitter, they are for sure going to Toronto together. So <laughs> South Beach, Toronto. <laughs> yeah. So conflicting reports, Vardy, uh, <laughs> for where these guys are going. But look, uh, we love Drew Doughty. I love Drew Doughty as the, as a player. I love his, you know, carefree, you know, shoot from the hip, all that stuff. But here's where I get upset. Okay, he has 18 months until this becomes a real issue, right? He, there's a long time um, until he really sits down to negotiate. Well, with the Kings, it can be earlier. But what I mean is... Real hardball is going to start quite a ways away from today. And this is already the second or third time, you know, he's kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say diary of the mouth or I don't want to say anything too negative, but he's kind of mouthed off. Now, there's a third time about his contract saying, oh, I don't know if I'll be a king. You know, right? and now I'm kind of getting annoyed because the kings have problems right now more than enough for him to keep busy and talk about that. The team's still trying to figure it out. They have to make the playoffs. And like I said, now this is we're going to the third, fourth time. He's talking about this. And if you're a leader and if you're viewed as one of the go-to guys and you keep saying how you want to stay in Los Angeles and you love the leadership you've been getting, you need to stop talking about this now, okay? You made your point. He said it in the, in the summer, right? He did that media tour of Toronto. He, he already 
kind of fan, you know, fan the flames a little bit there. That's enough. You know, now you need to focus on what you're doing for this team right now because this team needs your full attention, buddy, if you haven't noticed. And we always kind of give him a pass with these things, right? Because, yo, look at that fire. It's like he's playing pond hockey. It's just, he's so honest. You know, what a great guy. But now it's getting to be too much, in my opinion. And he he's already said his piece. And it, I would appreciate it if he stopped kind of cre- creating this unnecessary distraction for the team and this media frenzy around him and his contract. Before I get to that, I have to tell you that that last sentence just gave me a flashback to Ace Ventura <laughs> when he asks him for some more gum in his responses. <laughs> no, I don't, Dan, and I would appreciate it if he asked if you didn't meddle in my personal life or something like that. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. It's fine. I agree. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I always welcome an Ace Ventura reference. You know this. <laughs> That's exactly how I feel, though, Vardy. You know? I feel like Ace in that car sticking his head out because... Because Dan Marino keeps asking you for gum. That's what's happening. Yeah, in this case, Dan Marino keeps talking to the Toronto media for no good reason. About possibly playing in other places. Going to South Beach. <laughs> it all comes back to Miami. Yeah, yeah. This is like a speaking of Jim Carrey, like that number twenty three movie that you and I are so fond of. Yeah, don't watch it, guys. But no, I mean that's the thing with Drew, right? And 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 personally, and you mentioned this last episode, it's like he's it looked like he was trying too hard at times. Uh he's always trying too hard. He, that's that <laughs> Right, right. And I think he's trying too hard. Again, except not on the ice. Now he's trying too hard off the ice to get. I don't know what he's. It's not even a negotiation. But I don't know what he's trying. I don't know what what what. It's like, are you not going to get a lot of money? It's it's very clear that's, you're going to get all the money. That's what How I don't. Money? That's what I don't all get. The money. Man. I don't get it. Like, what is the? Give me one positive or one benefit of him doing this for from his perspective, right? The Kings already know what he's worth they i'm pretty sure they have an idea of what they're gonna offer him it's gonna be a lot of money i promise you drew you're gonna get a lot of money either way but he's the type of player where you don't have to play these games i just don't feel like you have to play these games especially this early on um the team is trying to get into the playoffs we need drew dowdy 100 focused on helping the team do that not this other crap about oh we think PK is underpaid and me and Eric are talking on the phone every day. It's like, dude, come on, man. Come on. Like, unnecessary. Yeah, we, we text each other money bags emojis and then he responds with one more money bag than I do. It just goes back and forth. <laughs> and it's an endless text chain for the next 24 hours. <laughs> who, can, who can text the most emoji money bags to each other? crazy man i texted eric the other day with a little man and i labeled him rob blake and i put all the little flying money bags going away from him (laughs) man i wish we were nhl players we would have so much fun vardy we would send hilarious text messages just just emojis and gifs just tons of fun all day all day but seriously drew stop don't do that just stop it bro you're gonna get paid you want to be in L.A. You know you want to be in L.A. You don't want to go to Ontario. It all seems well and good until you get there. And then you realize that, you know, you're a Manhattan Beach guy now. You're not you're not a Scarborough whatever guy anymore. Just, just stop. 
You okay? You're hurting us. Just even if he and, is, right? This is my point. Even if he is, there's just no point in doing it now. Right now, you are employed and paid by the Los Angeles Kings yes. for a while here. You know, it's not like this summer. It's not like they might move him at the deadline. No, it's your king right now for at least two more. Well, yeah, for at least two more seasons this season and the next. You should be focused on doing your best to make this team win, to help this team win, to be a good player, because then you and Eric can really get into the text messaging fun. Because you could, instead of sending emojis, you could actually send real bags of money, photos to each other. <laughs> but you got to come to the rink and you got to play and you got to focus on that. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and I, again, I, to be completely fair, I don't think he's like unfocused. I've never, I've never thought that he's unfocused. And focused. I just think that sometimes he just tries so hard to, and I don't know what, you know, because I, at any point in time, I, I've always felt that he's a better player when he's more controlled out there, when he's not looking to, and I think John Stevens kind of hinted at this with some comments a couple of days ago, um, just kind of asking about like Dowdy joining the rush versus Dowdy leading the rush, that kind of mentality. And you, you could tell that just from the words he was saying, he didn't want to publicly come out and say like, Drew really should stop rushing the puck up on his own. Like he should be really looking to join the rush when it's appropriate, as opposed to thinking he's going to end to end it every freaking time. But he's kind of, you know, pussyfooting around the issue because he doesn't want to call him out and say like, you know, our best defenseman's kind of being an asshole sometimes, but that's what he does. Sometimes he just takes the puck and decides that he's just going to do some dumb stuff with it and take it end to end and try and make something ridiculous happen that didn't have to be attempted in the first place. And then he slams his stick and gets pissed off and then he tries to hustle back and makes another, you know, unnecessary diving play or takes takes like a shot at someone, then starts yelling at the ref. And it's just like, come on, man. You've been playing for 10 freaking seasons now, something like that. Just realize that you're at your best when you're a little more controlled in your game. That's that's all it is. And apply that same mentality to how you handle yourself off the ice sometimes as opposed to saying things like this that are, I don't know, in jokes with your buddies in Toronto or whatever and you're kind of teasing them. It just doesn't make any damn sense. It just it just sounds immature to me, honestly. Like Kopi, you know, even though Kopi I don't think was ever intent on leaving or anything you just don't see him doing that kind of thing, right? Like, I don't think Eric Carlson is going on the rate. He never did. I mean, he knew he was going to get $10 million a year for as long as the Kings could pay him. And not once do I recall him saying, like, I don't know. Right. You know, Dallas sure is nice this time of the year. He always said, we'll get something done. And I don't hear Eric Carlson, you know, saying the things that Drew Doughty's saying. And with all due respect to Drew Doughty, I, I love the guy and... I hope he doesn't leave. I think Eric Carlson is just a hair better than he is right now. So if, if that guy's not out there gallivanting and, I don't know, making silly comments like that, I, I just just pull it back, man. Just be a little more mature. Realize that, you know. And another thing is how does it affect your teammates? Uh, I realize they're all pros and all this. Yes, I get it. They're, but at some point, a guy like, I don't know, Dustin Brown, who's making $5 million, or Jeff Carter, okay, right, who is severely underpaid right now uh, because of a contract. And will be underpaid for the rest of his career yes. because he's signed forever. With the LA Kings, by the way. Yes. Right. It's just like, 
come on, man. You know, that's one of your leaders right there. And he's probably looking at that and saying, seriously, seriously, I make, I'm going to make half of what you're going to make in two seasons. I already make, you know, $2 million less than you do. So things like that. That's, that's kind of what frustrates me, but hopefully I'm sure Rob Blake gave him a little call after that and probably told him a few things, uh, namely don't do that anymore probably uh which man i I don't think i don't think he's gonna stop but i I think the best way i could describe this guy is he's always extra he's always too much there's a line and then there's drew constantly crossing that line it's like the interview he gave where he talked about how he met Gretzky and the first time was when he was taking a piss next to him. Literally, these are his words. <laughs> so he just constantly steps past. He's a habitual line stepper. That's what he is, gosh. He's a habitual line stepper. That's. I think that's going to be episode twelve, Vardy. How do you feel about it? Feeling good? I feel good. I feel. I feel as good as as Gabrick's groins at the moment. Solid, looking to accelerate. All right, I like that. I like that. <laughs> How's that for an analogy? Take that. I dig it. So, uh, St. Louis tonight. Um, I know this, well, tonight, by the time people hear this, it'll be tonight. Um, this is after the Washington game. So, St. Louis tomorrow tonight. When? Tomorrow tonight, man. Sweet. (laughs) Not tonight tonight? (laughs) No, tomorrow tonight. Tomorrow Um, tonight. Got it. Cool. That's going to be a... it's going to be a good it's one. It's going to be a barn burner. It is. A barn burner. It is. I think the Kings, Kings are coming off a rough game. Even, again, to, to quote Drew Doughty, the, again, the, to, uh, to highlight Drew Doughty's uh, open mic night oh, kind of interviews that he likes to do, basically came out and straight out and said, it's really hard to play against Alexander Ovechkin, more or less. So let's see. Let's see how much fun it's going to be to follow that up with playing against Tarasenko tomorrow yeah tomorrow tonight that's the kind of honesty we're okay with drew okay you can, see that's that's, that's, that's fine that's that's good it's personality funny, that's you're engaged entertaining you know make for a great quote kind of guy stop talking about ontario no <laughs> one wants to hear about ontario yeah unless stop, you're talking about the rain that's the only ontario i want to hear you talking about and stop talking about your boy babs i love playing for babs <laughs> christ all right That'll do it for us, guys. (laughs) Bannermanpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Bannerman Pod. We're available everywhere. You can listen to a podcast. um, And please leave us reviews. Give us feedback. uh, Engage with us on Twitter. We we like to get back to all our fans, followers, whatever you want to call it. If you write us, if you comment, whatever, I assure you we will give you a response. We will be there. We will like. We will start up a conversation. We will continue a conversation. So we want to keep this show going, guys. So it's on you. Again, give us a review. Give us some feedback. Spread the word. What he said. Thanks, Barty. See you guys next time. You got it.